there is no rush to go to the bar. It will still be there in 10 years, in five years, in two years. We will still be wearing the silly wigs and the silly gowns. <laughs> uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with trying different parts of the legal profession or something completely different. Generally speaking, all experience is good experience. I'm Beatrice Collier. And I'm Georgina Wolfe. And this is the Pupillage Podcast, brought to you by Middle Temple and us, your hosts. Unlike some other professions, the bar is extremely welcoming to those who become barristers as second careers. A little life experience can go a very long way, as can a few extra wrinkles when you arrive at court on your first day on your feet. On today's episode, we talk to a few of those who have taken the leap from an established career and come to the bar. Dijon Basu QC turned his back on his medical career, while Penelope Neville decided to leave her native New Zealand, where she had a successful career as a lawyer, and come to this hemisphere and the English bar. First of all, we heard from Five Essex Court's Peter Lavrak, who left a city solicitor's firm to start again on the first rung of the pupillage ladder. Peter tells us about some of the solicitor exemptions available for those cross-qualifying, and how simply having higher rights of audience, the qualification that allows solicitors to undertake advocacy in courts of record, was no substitute for pupillage. Peter, welcome to the Pupillage podcast. Thank you. Perhaps I can begin by asking you to explain to our listeners what your route to the bar has been. I originally qualified as a solicitor at one of the the big English now Anglo-American firms. So I did the graduate diploma in law, having done a non-law degree as an undergraduate, then did the legal practice course, which was thankfully paid for by the firm of solicitors, which is one of the the, the pros of going down that route. And um, then did my training contract there for two years, qualified into the litigation and arbitration group, was there for four years post-qualification. And during those four years, I thought at some stage I might do something different and um, ended up transferring to the bar, but not immediately. I, um, I left the firm and then spent some time working for the United Nations in Cambodia, um, where I was working at the International uh, Criminal Court there, called the Extraordinary Chambers in the, of the Courts of Cambodia. Brilliant name. Yes, <laughs> extraordinary name. <laughs> and um, was there for about seven months working for the prosecution team. And uh, during that period, um, I was unsure whether to go back to private practice, but on the bar side, or to try and stake out a, a career in the, the UN or the, the NGO sector. So um, I came back to the UK, uh, did an LLM, and um, then during that period decided, actually, I, I want to go back to private practice, but as a barrister. So I kind of used the LLM as a, as a springboard to take my career in a slightly different direction, so away from commercial litigation and uh, more towards um, public law and international law. It was only during working uh, for a small strategic litigation NGO in London after the LLM that I decided actually I do want to go back to private practice and I want to do court advocacy. Um, So that that was a point in time when I decided, uh, yes, I'm going to apply for pupillages. It sounds like advocacy was one of the main attractions. What else was it that appealed to you? I know everyone says this, but I think being self-employed is wonderful. Yeah, isn't it the best? It, it really is. Having the 
the flexibility that comes with not having a direct boss. It was the, the flexibility of the bar compared to both the solicitor side of the profession and also being an employee with, within the NGO sector or the, or the UN. Um, the, the bar just offers a, a greater flexibility to, to, to form your career in a way that you simply cannot do as an employee. And, and it's really interesting to me that this, it, what you experienced wasn't a, a sudden moment of epiphany that being a solicitor wasn't for you necessarily. It was a gradual and considered change that you started to, to look for something else and then identified the bar as being for you rather than sort of stepping into the world of solicitor and thinking, oh no, I've gone down the wrong path. That's definitely right, yes. A legal career can take many forms and I, I value everything that I, I did and my, my different guises of being a, a, a lawyer before becoming a barrister and all of them have been helpful. And I think being a, a barrister is just expressing another personality of, of being a lawyer. So there was no epiphany. It just kind of happened and it was, it was convenient for me to make the transition um, from solicitor to barrister via some, some middle ground. And I, I think it's worked out. One of the things that you're probably too modest to tell our listeners is that you went on to do pupillage and you have carved out at the bar an incredible and very niche specialism in decriminalising homosexuality currently across the Caribbean. Um, can you tell our listeners a bit about that and how you've done it? Actually, that, I think that's a, a major benefit of coming to the bar a bit later in one's legal career because I, I came with experience so when um, I was a solicitor, and the, the firm I was at was Hogan Lovells, they, they do fantastic pro bono work, and I'm still working with them now, uh, having made the transition across. And it was through that exposure that first I got a, a taste for human rights litigation, and secondly started to build some niche experience, in particular in LGBT rights. And it was that experience that has enabled me to pick up some, some pretty interesting work now that I am a barrister. Uh, so, for example, um, I was junior counsel in the Cayman Islands this year uh, where I won for my clients the, the region's first equal marriage challenge. And um, the year before that um, was the international legal advisor for Jason Jones who won the first challenge to successfully decriminalise homosexuality among the Caribbean islands. And it's been, it's been a great pleasure to do that. I think being on the barrister side of the profession, with that flexibility, has enabled me to do that. Um, so I, I do all this work pro bono. And uh, I don't think being in, employed within a firm of solicitors, uh, it would be tolerated <laughs> that an employee is, is not billing. Um, so certainly the flexibility of, of the bar has enabled me to, to carve out that niche and, and do what's really rewarding and absolutely fascinating work. What then about the sort of technical side of cross-qualifying when you already are qualified as a solicitor? Are there any shortcuts or do you have to start from the beginning? There, there definitely are shortcuts or, or exemptions, as the Bar Standards Board calls them. I've had a look at the rules today. They have changed slightly <laughs> since um, I did this back in 2015. And um, so as a solicitor, you, you can get various exemptions 
from the, the academic, vocational and professional stages of qualifying as a barrister. Um, so your, your, your academic stage is your degree or your graduate diploma in, in law. The vocational is the BPTC and the professional is, is pupillage. Uh, and I was exempted from all three of those. And depending on how, how senior you are as a solicitor and whether you have higher rights of audience or not, um, you can get exempted from one or more of, of those. Uh, and that's all on the, the bar um, standards board's website. I, I wanted to do pupillage. I simply did not feel equipped to be a court advocate with my experience as a solicitor. I got higher rights, which my, my firm um, paid for, which allowed me to get those exemptions. But even having done that course, I felt I didn't have enough advocacy experience to go straight into practice as a tenant. And I think it would be unusual for Chambers to take someone on as a tenant who hasn't been tried and tested through some form of pupillage. As I said earlier, I, I used the LLM as somewhat of a springboard to, to make the transition from solicitor to barrister. And um, going back to university for a year with, with all the extracurricular stuff that you can do um, allowed me to um, get advocacy experience through mooting competitions. And that's not only confirmed that I did want to be a court advocate, um, but it also allowed me to um, take part in competitions and state in my pupillage application forms that I do have advocacy experience um, and had, had done quite quite well in the, those competitions. So it was capable of um, taking my legal experience as a solicitor and in the NGO sector over to the bar side of the profession and, and, um, and practice as a barrister. Did you do mini pupillages? And if so, did you find them helpful? I did, yes, yes. I um, approached the exercise as if I were doing the BPTC. So I, I did everything that um, your more standard applicant would do. So gaining experience of advocacy through mooting, through doing mini pupillages and applying for a 12-month pupillage despite the exemptions. It is a lot easier for solicitors to transfer across today than it was a few years ago and it's no longer necessary to have higher rights. Although what I will say is that the higher rights course is no substitute for the BPTC or pupillage. Uh, it's during the pupillage year that you really learn how to be an advocate. And I don't think you can do that in the classroom. Mm. It's by going to the magistrate's courts, it's by going to the county courts and getting duffed up by the, the judges there uh, that you really cut your teeth. And that's, that's where, you, where you learn. You know, it's a bit like um, your driving test. You know, that gets you to a very bare minimum, but it's only when you're out on the road on your own that you really start to, to hone your skills. Yes. So that's really interesting. So there, there are lots of shortcuts you can take, but actually for you as a practitioner in the long run, it might not be in your best interests to take those shortcuts. I, I think that's right. At, at the same time, I think getting higher rights, applying for the exemptions, both show that you are committed to making the transition. Mm. It's, I think it's a clear indicator to Chambers 
that you are you have carefully considered transitioning from the solicitor side to the barrister side. Yeah. And also, I think doing the, the higher rights course gives you a bit of a, a taster of advocacy and highlights the key difference between the two sides of the profession. Yeah, because it, it's a big risk, isn't it, to go from a salaried position to being self-employed, perhaps having many years at a much reduced um, level of income. Yes, and that certainly was the case for me. Leaving a, a, a big commercial firm of solicitors involved taking a, ve- a very hefty yeah. pay cut, as well as losing your pension, yes, your benefits, your paid holiday, private health insurance, and um, the, the, the benefits of, of, of those things that you get as an employee um, can't be overlooked. And... Um, not having them is the major downside of being a barrister, the major downside of, of being self-employed. You have, however, ended up with Beatrice and me as colleagues. <laughs> yes, which makes up for all of it. <laughs> How did you answer the question that must have inevitably been posed to you, why do you want to be a barrister then? That is a difficult question. Yeah. Did you ever touch on things that you found less attractive or was that too negative? What did you say i think in answering that question it's important to put forward the positive reasons why you want to be a barrister that is what the question is asking not why do you no longer want to be a solicitor yes and i coming across as the the disgruntled solicitor who wants to do anything but go to the big corporate office is not going to um, look good in an application to chambers um, I think answering that question, like any other applicant, is important. It's important to, to put forward the reasons why you think the profession is for you and why you will excel in the profession. Yeah. Starting cupelage does involve starting back on the first rung of a career ladder and being a pupil, you will have to do tasks for more senior members of chambers you will be scrutinised very closely in exactly the same way that all other pupils are. And then during your second six, you will be going off to magistrate's court and the county court doing quite minor applications. So I think um, showing a willingness and humility to, to do those tasks that all pupils have to do is important because it shows a realisation that, that actually even though you do have a number of years of experience, you will, in some regards, be taking a few steps backwards in your career. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming to talk to the Pupilage Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm pleased to be at the bar. Yeah. And um, it it is proving to be a, a wonderful conduit to do the work that I'm interested in. In the end... Uh, not actually from day to day the most glamorous of jobs and we're not actually from day to day the most glamorous of people so clients might be a little reassured if you uh, have some experience of working in the uh, employed sector if you're an employment lawyer for example. Our next guest is Dijan Basu QC. Dijan, very big welcome to the Pupilage podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, well, I'm a, um, a QC practicing mainly in police law and some healthcare law and uh, employment law. Uh, I've been a barrister since 1994, which is embarrassingly long time. 
Um, before that, um, as a bizarre twist of career choices, I qualified as a doctor and I practiced for a year. Um, never really thought that was the career for me from about uh, the first year at medical school, so I was thinking of another job to go for. So um, after about a year of doctoring, I decided to become a barrister. Never looked back since uh, and uh, thoroughly love it. Recommend it to anyone. And that's exactly why we wanted to get you on the Pupilid podcast, because you obviously had this interesting first career that involved many years of training, and then you chose to come to another career that also involved many years of training. Do you think that there are advantages of coming to the bar as a second career? Uh, I, I definitely do, and I, I think um, when I'm king, I'm going to make sure that all barristers have to do this job as a second career, um, because I think you really appreciate the freedoms and, and the privileges and just how interesting and fun this job is and unpredictable and um, stimulating when you do a proper job um, <laughs> first uh, and you see what proper employment is like uh, on a full-time basis for at least a year. So I think uh, I'm going to make sure by decree that everybody has to do a career before they become a barrister. Yeah. So what are the benefits that you've seen at the bar that you didn't find in your first career? Uh, we're, we're less hierarchical, which might seem a little odd when you look at the way things are structured. We're, we're less hi- hierarchical in the sense that you don't go through your career following a series of instructions from people above you where you don't uh, get a chance to think independently. M- most jobs involve being part of a structure and following procedures, protocols and doing things in a particular way that other people have decided upon until you become senior enough to be in charge of that. In this career, from a very early stage, um, in most specialties at the bar, you are sort of on your own and you are the person on the ground doing the advocacy, making the decisions, giving the advice. Uh, And that's uh, a great freedom and a great privilege. And also your calendar isn't um, predictable. Uh, It's very unpredictable, which is also stimulating and fun. And what you do at work from one week to the next, certainly in my, my practice, is never the same. And in fact, I'm constantly learning. It's a sort of career where you have to learn new things. Um, you, you can't, you don't go through a um, week by week process of doing the same things as most people in most jobs, it seems to me, certainly in my last job, tend to do. And what bits do you miss from the employed life? Um, from the employed life, uh, I miss some of the camaraderie um, of being in the trenches, um, in the health service, working enormous hours under enormous pressure. Because as bad as a job gets is as good as the camaraderie is, although at the bar there's great camaraderie, even though it's a great job. But in a really quite tough job, you make some great friendships because you you are in it together, and that's a very strong... um, impetus to bond together and support each other so I miss that really strong camaraderie of being so immersed in a job where you work immense long hours uh, and from that job as well I do I do miss making people better and and from time to time it's actually quite rare but from time to time saving someone's life that is quite nice and um, in this job limited opportunities <laughs> limited opportunities for that but it, it it teaches you this is not a stressful job because nobody dies at the end of your working day, not since they abolished the death penalty. Yes, no, I, I, I have to admit that I, if I feel that I'm having a bit of a bad day, I always think about my very good friend who's a paediatrician and um, deals in particular with 
neonates and it just makes me feel grateful always. Now that's a stressful job. Have you found that your training as a doctor has been an advantage to you in your particular line of work at the bar? It's definitely an advantage. It's not necessary for doing healthcare work or clinical negligence. In fact, a lot of my colleagues um, who specialise in clinical negligence, for example, which involves a lot of detailed knowledge of how the healthcare system works, um, have no um, medical qualifications, but a lot of them do actually. Um, but those who don't, I don't, I don't find it a disadvantage. But it's a, it's a slight advantage in the sense that you're more up to speed because you, you go into it knowing all the terminology. You, um, you understand how the, um, well, how the system works. You understand how the atmosphere is in certain situations, which can be quite useful when you cross-examine experts, particularly, say, in inquests, where clearly, by definition, something has gone wrong. Uh, you have an idea of how the emergency would have been dealt with and how it would have felt to those personnel who were dealing with this. And so you can ask questions which are a bit more insightful than those which somebody who hasn't worked in a hospital, doesn't know how those situations work, um, would, would do, would be able to do. Some of the self-discipline that's required in getting a different degree in a different profession and trying to succeed at that profession um, those skills in terms of the resilience you need uh, probably are the most important thing. And I, I think when I look at applications or when I look at um, scholarship applications, for example, which are um, we're interested in similar kinds of qualities, I look at whether somebody's got the grit to make it in this job because it's getting tougher and tougher. And if you've been able to do something else that's very difficult in life, whatever that is, it may even be achieving highly in sport or in some other profession, etc., or musically or um, in athletics, um, other achievements. If you've got the grit, that's what you need to be a barrister because I think we've all seen people who have all of the mental qualities, the intellectual qualities, that is, but they just lack that one last thing, which is probably the grit you need to survive those hard days when you get your clerk send you some papers that are in an area you're not that familiar with. You have to travel very far to a court you're not familiar with against opponents who know the area really well, and you don't. And you just need to have the grit and self-belief uh, in those circumstances and generally at the bar uh, to succeed. And you need that more perhaps when you start off than later on when perhaps it sort of envelops you because of your experiences at the bar. So if somebody came to you and said, I'm thinking of a major career change in coming to the bar, what advice would you give them? I think they'd need to think about which area of work at the bar they wanted to go into because I'm very sorry to say that I meet a lot of people who are very clever and um, will do well um, and who are motivated but who are not realistic about whether the area of law they're interested in can actually support a, a realistic lifestyle. And I don't mean a wealthy lifestyle. I mean the basics like a mortgage and having children or maintaining your children and having family life, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I think particularly in relation to those who, and there's a lot of people who want to do this because they've watched Rumpel of the Bailey, etc., who want to specialise in crime or other legal, predominantly legal, legally aided areas, they need to be realistic um, about the areas they want to do because while they're the mo more sexy areas uh, and perhaps the more important areas affecting people's lives, very sadly, um, they are the much less well-remunerated areas and it wouldn't be honest not to tell people or warn them about 
that problem because it's all very well to be idealistic but then when you see the reality of how poorly people are paid particularly in crime you realize that you wouldn't advise somebody to make a change from a profession where they're comfortable to to really having to to scrape and work super hard to make ends meet uh, at the criminal bar so i i, I th- that's the first piece of advice which area you're interested in. Second piece of advice is don't be wedded to a particular area. I came to the bar thinking I'd just do clinical negligence and I've done comparatively little of it. I've done a lot of employment law, then police law. and I've changed in the areas of work I do. So I think be flexible about the areas you want to do uh, at the bar and um, think about whether you really want to put yourself through uh, a couple of years of being a student and then starting again at the bottom of a profession because that's where you really do need some grit and determination to start from being in a situation where you may be comfortable in a job or a profession um, and you've made a, a, some sort of success of it uh, and then starting again right at the very bottom, uh, that can be difficult and it can be a challenge. So I, I do advise people to think carefully about whether they are in for that challenge and up for that um, uh, difficulty in terms of how things are going to be for the next few years of their life. When you when you come out the other end and have your own clients, if you are that little bit older, I think perhaps that's helpful to establish authority and gravitas right from the get go. Well, I think very few amongst us will have had will have not had a client say, "How, how old are you?" And look, I've had patients say that to me as well. So it's been the bane of my life. Sort of, it is worryingly no, no longer happens to me. I think shortly it'll be the other way around. How old are you? Are you really still up for this this sort of work? But um, I think it it can just in terms of the first impressions. It's very much like um, real estate, where you've got the curb appeal of the house, the first thing you see, and that can influence how you you experience that property that you're looking around to see whether you want to buy it or rent it in the same way with as a barrister i think first impressions um are really important so uh, if you do look terribly youthful you need to do something about inspiring confidence on the path of the client otherwise they can feel a little bit worried when they see you walk through the door and explain to them how you're going to um keep them out of jail or uh, um save them from uh, losing their house in the litigation they're about to face I recommend having a beard, although I've <laughs> yeah. got rid of mine because I was ordered to by various family members, but uh, I do recommend it. Do you think that um, people need to answer the question, why have you decided to change career on a pupillage application form? Certainly be prepared to explain it, because in my first interview for the Chambers, it eventually took me on for pupillage. The first question I was asked was, you had a glittering career uh, in medicine, so why do you want to throw it all away and become a barrister? And that question really threw me, because... Uh, I'm not sure it's a glittering career in medicine and uh, I'm not sure I was throwing anything away. And um, it was very hard to explain uh, uh, the answer to that question. I think it was a cross-examination question, probably not the sort of way that we would now ask questions at an interview. But I think you should be ready to explain um, that you're really committed to this. You're not just somebody who flits from one career to the next and you might be the sort of pupil who doesn't have the grit and determination and stamina because you'll get sick of this as well and you'll decide to do something else. So just be prepared for that concern that perhaps you're not fully invested in making a proper go of this career. Thank you ever so much, Deason Bassett. My pleasure. I always try to tell people, and I say this now, that all the people I knew when I was... Uh, on my path to being a barrister who want, who really wanted to succeed did succeed um, but there were just one or two who didn't quite seem to have that grit um, I'm sorry to say who 
I think succeeded at other things, but did not find the bar was right for them. So I think you need that grit or stamina or determination uh, to succeed in it. Our next guest is Penelope Neville. Penelope is now a barrister at 20 Essex Street, specialising in public international law, having started off as a litigation lawyer in Auckland, New Zealand, and been an academic at Downing College along the way. She has come to tell us about her route to the English bar. Welcome, Penelope. Hi, Beatrice. So tell our listeners, please, a little bit about your background. I've given a sort of thumbnail sketch, but if you would like to explain to our listeners where you started and how you got to where you are now. I started my career practicing law back in 1998 after completing a law degree and an English degree at Auckland University. And then I went what was quite a normal route for New Zealand. I got a training contract or its equivalent in New Zealand and I started work and we did rotations through different teams and I ended up in litigation doing a mixture of employment law and general civil commercial litigation. Though the market in New Zealand for those things is very different from the market that you will find in London. And I did that for four and a half years before coming to the UK to do my master's in Cambridge, at which point I focused on public international law because I thought I wanted to go and work for the UN or the WTO or just do something a bit different for a while. But in the way that these things do, one thing led to another, and then I ended up staying in Cambridge as a researcher working in public international law at the Lauterpac Centre. And from there, I jumped into an academic job at Downing for five years, where I taught public international law and EU law. And so during this period, I kind of changed my focus of practice from employment law, general civil, commercial, into public international law and related areas of domestic and EU law. And then I got to the end of that, and I very much felt all the way through that I'd always been a litigator. So I'd always wanted to cross-qualify into the English legal profession, whether as a barrister or a solicitor. In New Zealand, we are both. We don't have to make a choice. And in the end, just I got an opportunity to do a pupillage at 20 Essex. So that's what I did. Was that one of the things that led you to come to England rather than to another jurisdiction? The fact that we have this divided profession with barristers and solicitors or what led you here? What led me here was really the opportunities for postgraduate education in the UK. And New Zealand being a former colony and a common law jurisdiction, we always used English case law. I'm very familiar with Lord Denning and Lord Diplock and all the famous names and the famous cases. So for many New Zealanders in law, it, you're really just doing more of the same but in a different place. And the great thing about London is there's just so many more opportunities being an international hub city than you would find in New Zealand. The fact of it being a split bar, I think, probably presents more of a dilemma for many of us because as a litigation lawyer in New Zealand, I was both solicitor and barrister on my cases. And so it requires different skill sets uh, where you're just being the barrister rather than both the barrister and solicitor. What about formal qualifications? Did you need to complete a different professional qualification in order to be able to practice at the English bar? The route for lawyers from Commonwealth jurisdictions or common law jurisdictions is a bit easier than from other jurisdictions because of our common legal heritage. Uh, the rules for each jurisdiction may differ, so you have to look, I mean, I mean, the bar rules in England and Wales may differ, so you have to check them out. But for me, as a barrister and solicitor qualified in New Zealand for more than three years or having higher appearance rights for more than three years, I could uh, qualify here quite easily just doing advocacy and ethics. And by the time I did it, that added one substantive law exam. 
so that started to make it a little bit more difficult to qualify, and understandably so, because it was about civil and criminal evidence and procedure, which obviously differs quite a lot between different jurisdictions, even within the common law. And also, at that time, because of the relationship with the EU, obviously, the, they couldn't treat common law lawyers more favourably than what they expected of EU lawyers to cross-qualify into this jurisdiction. So the rules change. And I would say that that's just general advice across the board. The rules change or can change quite frequently. So what you need to do to qualify based on your own experience and your existing qualifications, you very much have to go to the website or I rang uh, the Bar Council and talked to the people there and they were really helpful and they told me exactly what I needed to look at. What advice do you have for any of our listeners who may be in Commonwealth countries and are thinking about moving to practice in England? Uh, you explained that it's quite a dilemma about whether to choose the bar or the solicitor's route. What advice do you have for people who are confronting that dilemma? It very much depends on the area of law you want to practice. So that would be my starting point. For example, in my area of law, public international law, if you want to do investment treaty arbitration, a lot of that these days is done out of law firms, whether American-based or English law firms operating in London, and they tend to do all their own litigation. They might bring in external counsel for various reasons, but they also fully prepare the case and stand up and do the advocacy as well. So if that's what you want to do, this happens from the bar as well, but a law firm might be a really good option. However, if you want to do public law and constitutional law and really be on your feet all the time, then you would want to be looking at the bar and obviously criminal law in some other areas as well. So it depends very much kind of where you see yourself headed. I would also say that sometimes it's a really practical question of I want to go and practice in another jurisdiction, which route is going to get me there quicker? So sometimes you might want to be thinking more generally how is it going to be easier to get into the jurisdiction? Because once you're in and qualified as a solicitor, it may in time be easy to transfer to the bar if that's what you want to do or vice versa. And sometimes it has been for financial reasons, it might be easier to get a job in a law firm to start off with. Is there anything that you can identify as being something that you sort of wish you'd known before you embarked upon the process? There are two things in particular that spring to mind when you ask that question. The first is this idea that because I'd done so much practice before, by the time I came to the bar in London in 2010 to do my pupillage, I'd been working since 1998 as a lawyer and I'd done the hard yards, I thought, in a law firm. I'd done the hard yards at Cambridge. I'd practised on the side in Cambridge and I just kind of thought, well, how hard can it be? Well, actually, it can still be really hard <laughs> and really different. So you can't kind of assume that all of your skill set will automatically translate all the expectations and the dynamics that you're working in are going to be very different from what you've come from. And so I think it's really important to bear in mind, as probably, I was probably just being a bit naive, you know, every workplace is different. And so I would say that it pays, especially at the bar, to be very, you know, to look at what different sets do, ask around, see what cases they're doing, and see if that gels with what you think it is that you want to do moving forward. Do you have any other advice, Penelope, for people who are attempting to transfer from another Commonwealth jurisdiction? I think it's very important to do your homework properly and it's very important to keep your options open and be pragmatic. We often have, a, if you like, a, 
a fantasy view of what life at the English bar is going to be like. It's got all the old buildings. It's got the history. A lot of us grew up in former colonies knowing all about it and we want a part of that. But the reality is it's fantastic being here, but it's hard, you know, you can have fantastic experiences as a lawyer in any jurisdiction doing in any part of the world. And I probably would be very cautious just about taking a leap to be here because that's what I wanted to do and it was my only option on the table and being utterly disappointed when it didn't just come through because the bar is a very competitive place for all of us. And I think the most important thing is to be wise to that, be sensible, keep your options open. And the main thing is just to keep growing your professional experience because what most people want that you work with, whether they're employers or people instructing you, is they want you to be able to do things. They want you to be a well-trained lawyer and however you get that training and wherever you get it and however you keep developing your own skill set and your own knowledge, that's the most important thing. And it doesn't really matter that it's all at the English bar, it's a bit of the English bar, it's being a solicitor in another jurisdiction or a range of different experiences. Thank you. I think that's great advice. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure to speak to you both. Thank you for listening to the Pupillage podcast with us, Beatrice Collier and Georgina Wolfe, brought to you by Middle Temple. Production support and music by Alex Dopirada. Please check out the show notes for more on our guests, links to sources of information and a glossary of terms used in each episode. 